0: why they listen, but they do. Turn to our scripture in, in 1 John, and, and we'll start there. I actually want to continue that reading just a little bit into chapter 2. Chapter 1, verse 9, I'll just pick up there. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and if we say we have not sinned we make him a liar and his word is not in us my little children these things write i unto you that you sin not and if any man sin we have an advocate with the father jesus christ the righteous and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. This passage, as we, the second half of chapter one, and, and up to this point in chapter two, we see some comparisons taking place, and I want to look at those this morning. And that comparison, if you were to look at verse six, is the beginning of this. It says, If we say, versus verse seven, But if we walk, are you a lip service Christian is my question for you this morning. Do you say that you're a Christian or does your walk show that you're a Christian and there can be a difference? And we're going to look at that this morning. The introduction to this book, this chapter, this is the same John that wrote the Gospel of John. The same John that wrote the book of Revelation. And when he introduces this, the opening phrases of this, this book and this chapter, he, saw, he talks about which, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, and our hands have handled. John lived. With Jesus. He walked beside him through that three years of ministry. John was by Jesus' side. He had the experience of hearing Jesus' words from his own mouth, of seeing the miracles that Jesus did firsthand, and physically touching his body, even physically touching his resurrected body. He had that personal one-on-one experience with Christ, and that's where he's coming from when he's writing this letter. It's like it is from that personal experience with Christ. He knows firsthand what he's talking about. If you were to compare the opening verses here with the opening verses in the Gospel of John, you'll see a very direct comparison in the way that he presents Christ. And that's a very, just shows John's heart and his understanding of of who Christ is and the importance of his deity and the work that he did. When we get to verse four, he says, this is the purpose of his writing. He says, these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. That's the reason. Now, I don't know about you, but throughout my... I've been a Christian... I grew up in a Christian home. I've been a Christian basically my whole life. Yes, I, there's a point of salvation in there, but I, was, I grew up in that type of home, that type of environment. And so in talking with people that are not from a church background, they always seem to have the impression that being a Christian requires a boring life a dreary life, that we don't get to do anything that's fun. But John doesn't see it that way. He says, I'm writing this, that your joy may be full. There's true joy in serving God. True joy isn't found in doing the things that God says we shouldn't do. The things that God says we shouldn't do is for our good. The things that he says we should do that we don't want to do is also for our good and for the good of others and when we do those things when we live a life like that we can have a life filled with joy we get into the message here though. verse 5 says this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. And so here we see the beginning of this, if we say. And every time he says that, if we say, he's pointing out something that someone claims to live a Christian life. Someone claims to be a follower of Christ. But their walk doesn't show it. And this is the beginning of that. And If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. He says, you lie. You're a liar if you claim that, but your life doesn't show it. I'm going to turn to the Gospel of John just briefly and look at a a familiar passage to most people starting with one of the, the most known verses of the Bible John chapter 3 verse 16 begins says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life that verse is very clear and I want to be clear in what I'm saying this morning I'm talking about living a life that shows that you've trusted Christ as your savior, that you are a follower or a disciple of Jesus Christ. But my salvation does not come from doing those things. Those things come from my salvation, right? It is a correct understanding of that order. It's not my salvation from my works. It's my works are due to my salvation because of what Christ did for me. I now live a life that's pleasing to him. And that's a very important distinction to make. It is simply through faith, believing in Christ's sacrifice for our sins that we're saved, not through the things that we do. But once we believe that, there's a life that follows that should desire to please him. Verse 17 carries on, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the connection to 1 John now. It says, this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth the truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. There's this picture of God is light, and the truth is found in the light. Verse 19, it starts with that phrase, this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. Can you imagine that? Light is the condemnation. You know why that is? It's because when that light shines on the truth, shines on our lives, and reveals the sin that's in our lives, that's condemning. (laughs) We're in trouble when that light shines on the reality of the sin that's in our lives. the light of Christ reveals my need for a savior. But if I don't want that, if I just want to live in my sin, then I hate that light. And that's why it's considered that condemnation. Because men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Would you rather stay in darkness, not have anybody tell you about your sin, about your need for a savior. That's our job as Christians, is to tell our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, that they're sinners, that their sin is going to condemn them to hell forever. But that message in John three sixteen, God so loved the world. It's not a message of hate when you tell someone that their sin condemns them to hell, it's a message of love you give them the solution on top of that. And that's our job as a disciple of Christ, as a Christian. Your job is to tell people that message, to prevent them from suffering that punishment for their sin. And John here in John, 1 John says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. If you've been exposed to the light the truth of the gospel the truth of the the severity of your sin in your life has been exposed then you're not going to walk on a daily basis living that same life there should be a change in your life when the light of god has shined on that but if you continue to walk in darkness if you continue living a life of sin making choices, consciously knowing that you're going against God's word. John calls you a liar if you claim to be a follower of Christ, and that's the life that you follow. I didn't say it. John did. Verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. That's the solution: is His blood sacrifice pays for our sin. Just want to. I'm going to turn to Hebrews nine for a moment. Hebrews nine makes it very clear. Um, what was accomplished by Jesus dying on the cross. It makes it very clear um, what the purpose of the Old Testament sacrifices was. So I'm going to read a bit of a section here. I'm going to start in verse 6. I'm to read to verse 15. It says, Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle according to... The service of God, and we're talking about the Old Testament sacrifices and and all these ceremonies that took place then. It says, but under the second, into the inner part of the tabernacle, it says went the high priest own, alone once every year, and not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost. This signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. And he's saying all those sacrifices, all those offerings that were given in the Old Testament, were just a picture of what Christ was going to do. Those sacrifices themselves couldn't pay for the sins of those people. Verse 10 says, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of Reformation. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say not of this building, not of the the physical building. It's not about that. It's about Christ and God entering into God's presence in heaven. Verse 12 says, Neither the blood of goats or calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. The reward is eternal inheritance simply through faith in the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross, which was once for all. Verse 22 in that same chapter says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. The blood of Christ being shed on the cross was essential, was required to pay for our sins because it is a blood sacrifice that God requires as payment for sin. And it's only faith in that sacrifice that can get us salvation and can get us that eternal inheritance, access into God's presence. Going to continue in 1 John 1, Verse 8, once again says, if we, say, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Do we consider ourselves a good person? <laughs> most, of, most people like to think of themselves as a good person. There's a guy, um, Ray Comfort, he, he calls it the way of the master, and he uses the Ten Commandments to witness to people by just asking them, do you consider yourself a good person? And most people will say yes to that question. And he says, can we test that? And if a person agrees to, the, to this test, he says, well, I'm, let's go to the Ten Commandments. Have you ever told a lie? Well, <laughs> I don't know anybody who has ever said no to that question. So you've broken one of the commandments immediately. You can continue on. You could do any of the Ten Commandments. And people have broken every one of them. Every person has broken every one of them. And he usually only goes through two or three, maybe four at the most. You've sinned. We continue to sin. If you lie, if you cheat, if you steal, and see the stealing, we're cleaning up some of our personal stuff out of the Bible camp right now, trying to separate what was ours from what belonged to the camp. And my wife was looking at some things. We used to shop at the, the superstore, and if you spend more than the $250 or whatever it is, they, use, they would give us some kind of special free gift. And sometimes those free gifts were things that were useful for camp, and we would just throw it in, and snacks or different things. But there was something there, sitting on a counter for the last three or four years, still in its package. And she says, does this belong to the camp, or is it okay for me to take this home? And she's the going through this, is it stealing? Am I stealing? Am I doing wrong by taking this thing? Did it belong to the camp, or is that because it was a free item? Is it up for grabs kind of, kind of a question? And so she struggled with this thing because she wants to make sure she's doing what's right according to what would be honoring to God in the circumstances. And so we need to consider these things Jesus took the thou shalt not commit adultery and he made it apply to every one of us and he's talking to, from a man's perspective but it goes both ways of course he says if you look on a woman with lust you've already committed adultery you've already broken that commandment if you just look longingly at somebody I think we're all guilty of these things. Do you ever envy? Do you ever wish you had something that somebody else has? You're Guilty of coveting. You ever angry? If you have kids, you've been angry. <laughs> You're guilty of murder if you have been angry at a person is what Jesus said. If you have a driver's license, chances are you're guilty of murdering numerous people, even possibly on the way here this morning, right? I was very careful that I had that in my mind as I was driving behind somebody that was going exactly the speed limit most of the way here this morning. Like, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> but, but those things try our patience. And when we react in anger or frustration, it's sin that's in our hearts, responding to these things. And these are the things that we need to learn to put aside and to control those things to represent Christ well to the people around us. Um, as Dave said, you know, I ran, I, after my, I worked for my father-in-law, I ran the garage myself for a number of years and I had employees working for me. And I remember a guy in the shop and he was in the other side of the shop and I'm working on my own car and I changed the timing belt. And when when I'm doing these things, before you put it all together, you like to start the car and make sure everything works so you don't have to undo the whole job again. Well, I started the car, but this particular timing belt didn't have anything holding it. From slipping off and well I just put a new a whole new head on this thing because it had self-destructed when the belt broke in the first place and this belt slipped off and re-bent some of the valves <laughs> in that new head that I just put on the engine and the guy on the other side of the shop he heard what happened the car suddenly stops and it was just silent and he comes over and I'm just sitting there Staring at this engine in frustration but silently and he said he couldn't believe that I wasn't swearing and jumping up and down and it was things like that where I felt like that wasn't me, that was God restraining me from those things so that I could maintain a good testimony to this other person that was in the building with me and things like that would happen quite regularly. And people saw a difference in my life because I had that in my head that I need to maintain that testimony. I need to control the sin that is in my life and not just say that I have no sin. But that sin has to go. (laughs) And people, when they're around you enough, we'll see the difference whether you say you're a Christian or whether you live like you're a Christian. Verse 9, this is a verse that I memorized when I was very young. This is stuck in my head permanently. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We, we sin. I sin today. I, like I said, I, I'm sure I had a moment of anger. There was a, thoughts in my head that were sinful this morning on my way here this, to preach this morning. I sin every day of my life. And he says, if we confess our sins, God's faithful and he will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, this verse, when we trust Christ as our Savior, when we go to him confessing our sins initially, receiving him as our Savior, receiving his payment for our sins, it's a once for all. That passage in Hebrews describes that it was only one time that Christ had to enter with that blood, that offering. It was sufficient for all of our sins for all time. And so, I didn't lose my salvation this morning on my way here. (laughs) and didn't have to regain that salvation through confessing the sin. It's going to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But when we back up to verse 7, it says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. There's a Fellowship with Christ, there's a relationship that needs to be maintained and it needs to grow. And that requires that ongoing confession and that ongoing repentance and that heart that wants to put away that sin. That's, that's the, the key to that relationship with God, that ongoing fellowship with him, is that confession. It's not to regain my, my salvation, it's to maintain the relationship. And again, in verse 10, it says, if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar. God's word, if you read this book, it tells you that you're a sinner. It reveals the sin in our lives. And if we claim that it's not there, we're telling God that he's lying. And John says, his word is not in us, if that's our attitude. And then when he starts into chapter 2 he says my little children these things you see the attitude of John as he's writing he says my little children <laughs> he's calling them like family like he's he's an old man at this point so I guess he's allowed to call any of us little children right I can see <laughs> we have a guy in his 90s in our church and he looks at all of us like we're young his children are older than everybody else in our church i think and so he gets to call us his little children but it's that that attitude towards them is an attitude of love and care for those people he says i write this to you that you sin not and if any man sin we have an advocate with the father jesus christ the righteous it was that he's pointing back to that sacrifice and christ is the mediator between us and god we have access to God through Christ and that payment for sins is complete that verse 2 that he is the propitiation for our sins and like that word is not a word that we normally use in our english language but it's a word that describes an absolute complete finished work there is nothing else to be done to complete that it's a full payment And if you try to add anything to that payment, you're basically telling God that his son being sacrificed for your sins wasn't enough. What an insult to God if we say that to him. It is complete in what Christ did. There is nothing else that you or I can do to add to that. It's just simply faith in that payment. And I like, when we get to verse 3 here in chapter 2 says, Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. If we actually live the life that the Bible describes that we ought to live, remember in verse 4 it says, I write these things unto you that your joy may be full. We can have a life of joy in keeping God's commandments. And it's that life that we can look at our own life. And I don't know how many people have come to me, especially campers, junior staff in particular, these teenagers who start to see the sin in their lives, start to recognize that the things that they're doing in their life are not pleasing to God, and they question their salvation. And this points us to dealing with that we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. You know what? If, if your sin bothers you, if it causes you to question your salvation, that's probably the surest sign of your salvation. Because if you weren't concerned about it, that would be what I would be more worried about. When you're concerned about the sin in your life, that's a sign that God's working there. God's dealing with you with those things. And there's a heart to change that. Verse 4 says, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. And his truth is not in him. And we've seen those as well who claim to be a Christian, and yet their, their sinful life doesn't bother them in the slightest. There's no change, no willingness to change, no desire to change. And John says, the truth is not in that person, but whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him. I'm gonna close with Matthew 7, if you wanna follow me there. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus is speaking and dealing with all kinds of different things and different topics in this passage. So we just kind of pick up in verse 21. And Jesus says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name doth many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Can you imagine... The, the description is that they've cast out devils. We've done works, many wonderful works in Christ's name. And yet you've never had a change in your own heart. And Jesus says many will be in that condition. And his response is that I never knew you. What's Christ's response going to be to you and me when we face him? Will it be well done, good and faithful servant? Or will it be depart from me, I never knew you? What an important question to ask. And it's something that we need to be certain of. We'll close in prayer. Lord God, as we have looked at this passage and the things that are said here, that it's important for us to obey your word, to do the things that you have commanded us to do, to live the life that you have described in your word for us to live. Lord, it's not our, our salvation isn't gained through those things, but it is certainly demonstrated through those things. And it is important. Help us to see that, Fruit is important, and we need to bear fruit for you and for your sake, Lord. Help us to be a good witness to those around us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Great message. The